epic tales of Magic Mike's last dance have got women talking, but nothing lasts forever. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Adam Ball, and this is Off Screen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Groovy. So, welcome back to the show. Uh, we're going to start with some brand new movies shortly, uh, but we thought we'd just have a bit of a catch-up before we start uh, talking about these new movies. So, um, have you watched any that aren't brand new movies this week, Van? Anything that has taken you back a little bit? Movies are fun. Do you know what I watched the other night that I hadn't seen in a long time was the really terrible 1995 adaptation of uh, Michael Crichton's Congo, which they made as a sort of uh, a, a, a Jurassic Park cash-in. Oh, I, I've never seen that. I absolutely, I don't even, I've never even heard of it, actually. Oh, m- mate, you've got to see it. If you've not, if you've not seen it, you've got to check it out. It's absolutely mental. It's got, it's got a gorilla who can, like, talk, uses, like, advanced sign language, and there's a, a machine that translates it into actual voice named Amy. There's Killer Monkeys, there's Ernie Hudson, there's, there's Delroy Lindo, and there's Tim Curry with this South African accent. It's absolutely nuts. It's got cannibals, volcanoes, the works. I'm sold. That sounds good to me. Do you know what's on TV tonight? The original uh, late 90s, early 2000s Total Recall um, with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, I did it. I spoke about it earlier on my show. Uh, And I've seen that and I've seen the the kind of the newer version. Mm. Before I give my opinion, which do you think is best? Uh, the original, the 1990 adaptation. Good. Of course, it's, of course, that's the definitive. Everyone knows it's got three boobs. Of course, it's awesome. Yes, I remember that in the bar. Yes, brilliant. I mean, I, so many people I work with were telling me that they thought the the newer version was better because it was more modern and obviously the gadgets were, you know, a little bit not as the lot of them. Were. Yeah, no, I, I was had exactly the same argument that the original mm. totally. Um, and I've got it on record because it's going to be um, on TV tonight, so I want to go Excellent. back and watch it again. But um, okay, well, let's let's dig in to this first new movie that is out, which uh, uses the voices of Rob Beckett, Giovanna Fletcher, and Josh Widdicombe. Of course, this is uh, the animated movie Epic Tales. Yeah, so Epic Tales, which is a French animated historical adventure. It's basically what you get. It's the tale of Jason and the Argonauts, the retirement years, effectively, um, from the perspective, like Ratatouille-like perspective, of an animated mouse named Patty, who is like a school schoolgirl age kind of character who just wants to grow up and be an adventurer like her hero, Jason, from Jason and the Argonauts. And uh, one day, um, the, the gods above go to war. The gods are all the ones who are voiced by Josh Widdicombe and Rob Beckett, Giovanna Fletcher, by the way. And uh, Zeus and uh, I think it's Poseidon get into a bit of a tiff because the people of uh, Jason's uh, J- Jason's town, I forget the name of the town historically now, it's bad of me, um, they decide to build a massive statue to Zeus. Um, Poseidon gets a bit jealous, uh, holds, the, holds the, the town to ransom, and Patty must lead, Ratatouille-style, Jason and the rest of the Argonauts off on an adventure for the MacGuffin that'll save the day. Have a listen. This is the general sort of vibe of this whole thing. I've always wanted to be a heroine. Patty! A hero is a human, Patty, not a little mouse like you. Oh, you must choose Zeus our gratitude. It's awesome. Certainly deserve. Certainly deserve. I'll give you seven days to make a statue of me that's as beautiful as my brother's. Come on, they're all counting on us. We're going on an I mean, I've seen the trailer to this. Um, it, it's it's that typical 
beautiful animation and jokes that will go over the kids' heads, but, you know, the adults <laughs> will understand and have their own little giggle in the back of the cinema. Um, I really like these kind of movies. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, this is this is not an offensively bad one by any stretch of the imagination. It's not quite obviously going to be up to the very polished level of something like a Pixar. You know, you expect some A, triple A grade pristine product with that. To an extent, a DreamWorks as well, like uh, if they do it to the to the level they did the recent uh, Puss in Boots sequel, which I still think is the second best Shrek movie. Um, this is, I would say, lower tier illumination, like lower tier of the kind of caliber that gave us, uh, you know, the Despicable Me adjunct movies not despicable me the first one because that mm. is a masterpiece and i'll defend it to my dying day but you know like the sequels and the minion movies and things like that you don't particularly feel work quite as well this is about up to that caliber it's made by a french animation studio called pap incidentally so at the beginning of the movie when you start watching this it says a pap film and <laughs> I, yeah as a brit that's, that's kind of funny um but you know it's just one of those things that just just it immediately strictly was amusing the film itself just it's a bit too messy to work like it's just a little bit too naff like for the adults it's worth mentioning like we took my, my friend's son to see this little friend he came along to watch it with us and he had the time of his life and on the on the way out the cinema afterwards i had to, I had to wait with him for the bathroom and um he came out after he came out he, he was telling me all about the greek myths he happened to have uh, you know read about and this movie apparently just tied into so it, it works it does play really well to kids he was zippy and happy and loved it i sat there through this going at best this is three stars this is not particularly sparky at best it's three stars but I, i'm not going to deny every now and again just when you feel like it's getting repetitive it comes out with an absolute zinger there's some gags in this that will absolutely knock you out the chair they're really sharp and they come out of nowhere and they this film has no earthly business having comedy of this caliber in there but there's some great gags Okay, so so catered more to the kids, but at the same mm. time, you do get something out of it as an adult. Interestingly enough, listening to that clip you just played there, yeah, I can probably hand on heart tell you I didn't recognise Rob Beckett's voice, Giovanna Fletcher's voice, or Josh Widdicombe's voice. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, I think it is. It, it's, it's a relatively just voice talent cast. No, no celebrities playing any of the the the, the, the central figures. The uh, the the Engl I think this is because it's the English language dub as well. They basically just gave the celebrity parts to the the minor the, the minorly written god roles so they're not really in a lot of the movie they just get like three scenes say and oh. uh, rob beckett's putting on a voice uh, giovanna fletcher i wouldn't recognize anyway if i'm being really honest i still don't know who she is who's giovanna fletcher she she is the wife the of kid? yeah that's right she's the wife of tom fletcher who is the, the main uh, songwriter for mcfly who I have met, and he was lovely. I had no idea who he was, but I have met him, and he was he was very cool. Um, having said that, though, I did recognise Josh Widdicombe's voice because he's really just doing Josh Widdicombe, and Josh Widdicombe as Zeus is hilarious. I could listen to that all day. It was great. Um, say, you'll have some fun with this. You're watching this with your son. I think you're going to have a good good enough time. There's a couple of stretches here and there where you might be like, oh, it's a bit boilerplate. I can zone out. I could have a nap about now. You could you can you can merrily nap through certain chunks of this and just and be able to keep up with it not a problem but kids love this from what i've observed to be really honestly freddie loved it all the rest of the kids had the time of their lives they seem to really like it how long is it i mean is it is it short enough to keep the kids occupied without them getting a little bit bored halfway through towards the end yes yeah, it's, it's a 95 minute which basically means it's about 85 plus credits and to be fair even over the credits there's some like animated kind of uh, drawing type stuff going on over there i think there's, there's some fun to be had there's uh, there's a couple of scorpions 
that uh, absolutely stole this movie for me, literal scorpions. And I'm a big fan, big fan of any movie that uses the phrase, we, ha- was it, we have to stop the gargoyles, uh, gargoyles robot. Which, uh, oh, the Cyclops, we have to stop the Cyclops' robots. I was like, I'm in, I'm in. Once I've heard that line, that you've, you've sold me on a movie. This is, this is like the Fantastic Four with the only the server can stop the Destroyer, but he needs his board. I appreciate that level of script of scripting craftsmanship. There's no um, musical numbers in this, I'm guessing. <laughs> there's, oh, no, there's, a, there's a couple of sort of jaunty numbers, but they're not like outright musical numbers, I don't believe, no. Okay. Well, I mean, to me, I would sit down and watch this with my little boy if, if what you're saying, mm. you know, is correct. You know, catered for the younger kids. Would a four-year-old understand it, though? No, I don't know if they'll necessarily follow the nuances of the historical epic being laid out before them. But I think there's enough of a romping adventure uh, going through this. I quite liked it. You know, those are those great sort of Mr. Peabody-like anachronistic jokes about, you know, like, uh, you know, isn't it funny how we didn't have trousers at this period in history? You know, things like that. There's loads of, like, modern gags. Um, but they're done in a sort of very kid-friendly way. There's, there's no there's no pointed edge whatsoever to this material. This is all sanded off and rounded as much as possible. It, it, they've literally child-proof the edges of this movie. But I think there's enough there for, for younger kids to sink their teeth into as well. Like, it's talking animals, you know, having an adventure. It's good fun. Okay, well, if you fancy watching this, make your own mind up. It is out in cinemas from today. It's called Epic Tales. Uh, So we've got so much more to come. We're going to be talking about Magic Mike's Last Dance uh, in in a few segments, Ty. We've got uh, women talking. But next, we're going to be looking at Nothing Lasts Forever, which Van has already seen, of course. Um, All I know is it's about diamonds and it's quite thought-provoking. So we'll find out in just a bit. Stay there. So we are back and sticking with some more brand new movies in just a bit. We're going to talk about Nothing Lasts Forever, which, as I mentioned a moment ago, um, all I know is it's about diamonds and it's uh, quite a thought provoking movie. But first, you've got a trailer you want to talk about that you've recently seen. Yeah, I, I saw the trailer. In fact, it was today. I saw the trailer for uh, Stray's new comedy at Universal, uh, for, apparently from the producers of TED. So I think they, they want to market it to that kind of crowd. Obviously, it will have next to nothing to do with, uh, you know, anything to do with TED. It will just be there's one top exec at Universal who signed off on both because he, clearly he's got a comedic eye. Uh, no, it's not that. It's just here's a comedy we want you to compare it to. There you go. It's about, it's a live action uh, movie which presented as live action what they've used they've done is they've done like a homeward bound type movie about like dogs going on an adventure talking using cgi for the mouths and everything um but they are the voices of will ferrell jamie fox and people like that and wow. uh, the whole the whole gag is that it's r-rated like it's really foul-mouthed and nasty and, like the dogs get drunk and things like that i i, I can't wait for this it's called strays i don't even know what the uk release date is i just can't wait i'm excited about this I'm really glad you said about the swearing because as soon as you said it was made by the same people who made Ted, my yeah. first question was going to be, please say that these animals have potty mouths just like Ted does. So oh, yeah. that will be quite funny to watch. I like I like the sound of that. Um, something I just wanted to quickly ask you, um, cool. Happy Valley. Have you watched any of the series Happy Valley that everyone's talking about at the moment? No, no you know me and, and British television are not the best of friends. Me and, me and British films aren't really the best of best of friends, to be really honest. But uh, I know that it was a hugely anticipated thing and I couldn't read about anything else on Twitter for about two yeah. days afterwards. So I'm aware that it was it was the, the TV event of the season. And I'm happy for it. My, my sister, I believe, was quite a big fan of it so uh, you know I, I, I'm happy to see it continue it's like seven series or four series well I don't know 
Um, it's uh, the third series just finished and aired last Sunday. Um, so uh, I haven't seen that yet, but I got sucked into everyone talking about it, and I started series one a uh, week week and a half ago, and I watched the whole of series one in two days. It if you love a good crime drama, it's absolutely brilliant and worth watching. Commissioned by the BBC. Um, and just really, really good. Uh, you know, it's really well made. So, um, yeah, there's a recommendation for me this week. Um, so let's let's crack on with nothing lasts forever then. Uh, diamonds and thought provoking. So talk me through this. Right, I'm going to point out first of all that prior to actually starting up the screener link on this film, I had no earthly idea what it was about, and uh, I, I didn't want to look up the trailer because I don't like it. If I don't know what the movie is, I won't generally look up the trailer specifically just before I watch the film because it's you're watching it too soon. It's not like you can forget anything. You've scene and also you piece together the order. Right, so I just had the IMDB synopsis to go off on this. Would you like me to read you that synopsis and let's see if you can you can pick apart the bones of a plot from what IMDB have put, which is illusions and reality merge where authenticity and imagination overlap and questions arise about the value we place on the goods around us. What the wow. hell is that? Yeah, yeah, that doesn't really mean a lot, does it? I mean, that, that could almost be the synopsis, the synopsis to Limitless. Yeah, it really could. Now, of course, as you have pointed out, this is about diamonds. Specifically, it is about synthetic diamonds. So what this what this documentary does, it's a nice, tight and tidy, 87-minute uh, made-for-showtime documentary. So I don't think this was originally conceived of as uh, an actual cinematic or theatrical, uh, you know, so to speak, project. I think this isn't intended for uh, TV screens. Um, this being released by Dogwolf means that you can probably uh, catch it on the Dogwolf player as well from, from today when it's released. It's a 87-minute documentary that explores the diamond market as you know we all sort of know it as as we sort of pop culturally and societally recognize it and yeah it explores how that came to be entirely as effectively a marketing exercise by one company that happened to have effectively a worthless product a diamond in and of itself has no inherent value they then created the value by creating the marketplace by more or less inventing the popularized version of the engagement ring you know much to the chagrin of most uh grooms the world over if we're being honest but um so this is then how that market becomes destabilized by the introduction of synthetic diamonds several decades ago now. How they try to basically declassify this as, oh no, this is a cheap imitation. But how now in the present day, decades later, those same companies, specifically De Beers, have gone into synthetic diamonds all of their own. And now they have somehow managed to shift the goalpost of classification to the idea that synthetic diamonds are now okay. Just as long as they're made by the right company. So have a listen. People want diamonds because they've been told to, and none of them are really worth anything. And surprise, your big diamond might be fake too. We're in the period of misinformation or confusion. Synthetic diamonds have leaked into the natural diamond market. They may be indistinguishable. They're saying 1% maybe. It's so there's no panic. It is happening, but we are going to catch. There is a boogeyman under the bed and things are not right. So apart from the companies that are making these these uh, synthetic diamonds, what's mm. the advantage to having one of these diamonds then in the movie? 
Well, this is the thing. The movie uh, tries to give the diamond industry, you know, the, the, the old guard, as it were, the chance to, to make their argument. And really, their argument never comes down to anything more than, oh, it's, it's because it's the real thing, isn't it? And, oh, it's a rite of passage. You know? The arguments never quite come together. And, and you know me, I'm a science person anyway, so of course I'm on the side of the artificial. <laughs> because, you know, it, it's fascinating watch, watching this towering legacy industry try and bear down on this first of all this, this generation of effectively startup companies and labs who go into you know these synthetic crafts they that first of all they, they tried it through detection that these these companies started in business doing uh, synthetic diamond detection and because this was something De Beers didn't, didn't offer. Then De Beers muscled in on that marketplace and took over that. So they've now moved into having you know gone through these decades of, of synthetic diamond detection synthesizing their own diamonds because it's it's their their expert it's their expertise it's their marketplace for the taking who knows better it's like hiring the hacker to run cybersecurity it's a fascinating documentary to be really honest there's a to me personally there's a flaw in the narrative to this and that is real diamonds are expensive and wanted because they're rare so if they're being made on demand to me that means they're just going to be yeah, pennies but they're being made to the exact same chemical definition and process. And this is the idea that it, it's basically, because it's turned diamonds into something of an equalized luxury. The idea is that the old guard and the upper crust and the top tier of society simply can't have that. And it's it's, it's fascinating done. You get uh, quite a few very blunt, one lady in particular is extremely blunt, um, telling you, basically laying bare this industry that, you know, even in its most authentic form, does not come without its controversies, as certain African nations can probably attest, if we're being honest. Um, so, yeah, like I say, I was fascinated by it. Like I say, it's not intended as a sort of theatrical venture. Like it is more of a high-gloss TV documentary. But being made for Showtime, that gloss is lacquered on thick. It's slick, it's sexy, it's cool. It's the most interesting time I've ever had learning about diamonds without Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, well, yes. I was about to say, I mean, is it quite thought-provoking then? Does it open up quite a few kind of thoughts and, and moral uh, questions? Well, as I, I, I say, you've got you've got you know the history of, of, of diamond mining and how you know those workers are treated, as as well as you know as you've just put out the philosophical argument of you know what is the inherent value of a diamond. The answer is whatever society puts upon it, and that's what it is. It's in the same way that art has no inherent you know monetary worth. It is you know only what we deem it to be. In fact, let's be really honest. That's what's how money exists. That's literally it. Cryptocurrency has value based on the you know the value. That society assigns it, which is the ludicrous volume that it is. Um, same with all inherent, all currency. You know, the Earth over. It's exactly that inherent system of worth. But the movie does, you know, allow you to explore and interpret that to your own measure. It settles down more, uh, more firmly on the side of the science, though, if we're being honest. This definitely sounds like a drunk debate at three o'clock in the morning to me, if ever I've heard one. Like, I mean, I could go on for hours and hours and hours talking about, you know, money, what it's worth, why it's worth that, diamonds being made to the same specification, therefore they're worth more or the same. I mean, yeah, clever stuff. I mean, I, I do like the sound of this. And like you say, it's quite deep. So something you can really get absorbed by, I suppose. Mm. Um, did the time go quickly for you? 
Oh, it did. It was, it was uh, an hour 27 in length total, uh, five minutes for credits. So you are talking about like an 80 minutes uh, a chronicle. I thought it was really good. I was really interested. Didn't know what it was about before I started, as I say, because the title the title sounds like a sort of <laughs> trashy James Bond knockoff, doesn't it? Yeah. Nothing lasts for Rex Hunter in Nothing Lasts Forever. You know, that kind of schlock. Um <laughs> So starting it up, I was, you know, oh, it's about time. It's okay. And then, of course, it got into the synthetic side. I'm like, okay, I'm interested. I'm interested. Keep going. And uh, yeah, I say, I, 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 uh, I learned quite a bit from it, actually. Because I'm, you know, I'm going to anyway. This, this is fascinating. Yeah. I've got to be honest. Well, I like the sound of that. Nothing lasts forever. And that is also out in cinemas today. We are going to be back in a moment when we talk about uh, Women Talking, which is based on a novel of the same name, I believe, Van. Is that right? Indeed. And if it's not been adapted into a stage show yet, trust me, it probably will be. All right. Well, we'll be talking all about that. See what Van thinks in a moment. Stay there. Hey, welcome back and sticking with new movies still because there are still quite a few to talk about. Magic Mike's Last Dance in just a bit. But right now we're going to look at Women Talking, which I mentioned just a moment ago, based on a novel of the same name. Talk to me about this, Van. Yes, I think it's one by uh, Miriam Toos and is loosely based on uh, true events that I think took place in Manitoba, Manitoba, Manitoba County, Manitoba, Manitoba County, I think it was. Uh, right. So I'm trying to remember, it, it centres around a, a, a remote uh, Mennonite, uh, like commune. What do they call them? Uh, Mennonite colony, effectively. But this is in the present day. So like a religious community, like a secular religious community that's like the Amish, isolated unto themselves kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, so this is, this is a Mennonite set of one of those, and it largely takes place within the confines of a, hay, a hayloft or a hay barn in which the women of the community have been left to their own devices. There are only two men uh, left, sort of, like, in, in, in the small village, um, one of whom is played by Ben Wishaw, and he's there taking notes of what is effectively a meeting. This is like a town council meeting of all the women of the town. And these include Rooney Mara, uh, Claire Foy, Francis McDormand, etc. And they are having a philosophical debate. And the de- well, not even a philosophical debate, a societal debate. The debate is over what to do about their lives within the within the village in the wake of a series of attacks in which all of the women, several of the women have been drugged with cow, with cow and horse tranquilizers and sexually assaulted. Bear in mind, as I say, these are women who, you know, live more or less comparatively to the Amish, for instance, so as, right. as well. And uh, so th- these are not women taking self-defense classes either. So it's even more of an insular old timey tale than that, even though it is set in the present day. So the men have evidently caught the, uh, the, the accused or the would-be assailants and are off dealing with them and, and taking care of the legal side of it in a nearby town. While they're gone, the ladies have to decide what it is they want to do with their lives. They want to stay, and if they are going to stay, how are they going? what rules are they going to put in place? How are they going to change things to protect themselves from this ever happening again? Or do they go and seek a new life elsewhere with or without their children? Have a listen. This is the general vibe. I saw him. But only one. Yes, only one, but he named the others. But what if he was lying? We must consider this. No. No, that is not our responsibility because we aren't in charge of whether or not they are punished. We know that we've been attacked by men, not by ghosts or Satan, as we were led to believe for so long. We know that we've not imagined these attacks, that we were made unconscious with cow tranquilizer. We know that we are bruised 
and infected and pregnant and terrified and insane and some of us are dead. There is a movie, actually, that this loosely reminds me of. Um, do you remember The Village? Yes, I thought of that as well. It's because of the juxtaposition of the period setting and the, yes. and the present. Not not to give away any spoilers on a 19-year-old Shyamalan thriller. That's, <laughs> that's the end. No, don't do yeah. it. <laughs> Bruce Willis is dead. If you didn't know already, you should. There we are. I said, I did your service, people. Um, say, um, if you were wondering, by chance, where Rooney Mara, Claire Foy, Jesse Buckley and Francis McDormand had all been hiding this award season, the answer is they've all been hiding in the exact same place. It's this movie, and of course this is up for several Oscars, uh, for director Sarah Poli as well, who I still remember more primarily as an actress. Uh, but this is a fascinating film. It's not conventionally entertaining. But it is like a stage show that's kind of you know, that sits halfway between a few good men and witness, if you can imagine such a thing. Oh, okay. So, how long was this one? Did you say? I mean, was it captivating throughout the whole thing? Like, are you engrossed in it? Yeah, I say it's it's not a long one. It's only about a hundred minutes long. I think it's one hundred and four, um, which probably gives you about ninety-five minutes plus credits, sort of a thing. Uh, but it is one of those movies that even when it's not, but not being like, it, it's never not engaging. Actually, I can't really ever say that it's never unengaging. Uh, even during its slower points, when it does just wander off and do some character stuff for fifteen minutes, it's uh, it still does keep you vaguely engaged. I mean, they are. I mean, no no performer present here is a slouch. Nobody is ever going to accuse Claire Foy of not bringing her A-game every single time. Whether or not you enjoy that very repetitive game is subject to, you know, personal preference. I can take or leave it, dependent on, I don't know, what, how many we've had that month. But, you know, they're all bringing their A-game. It's, 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 a, it's a solid it's a solid performer's row here. Is it kind of attacking our reset of a moral compass with, with the storyline in here? But the the interesting thing about it is it's it's a movie that obviously plays uh, a lot differently post you know 2017 post times up that kind of thing it is the kind of movie that I think uh, probably you know would not necessarily have gotten made prior to uh, but it has resonance now particularly in the way that it thematically very much explores well as, as one of several topics that it explores if we're being honest um, very much explores the completely apathetic role of men within the situation and how as you can hear in the clip. It's not Satan, as we've been told. Like they fobbed us off, kind of an idea. You know, they just dismissed it. They wouldn't take it seriously. And you can imagine that has certain contemporary pathos, which I would say plays really well. It's in very skillful hands. Uh, Sarah Polly directs the hell out of it. I think she's adapted the the screenplay as well. And I'm trying to remember who did the cinematography. Oh, Luke Mont uh, Luke Mont uh, Montpellier. Uh, whose work mm. I did not know is a Canadian uh, cinematographer whose work I didn't necessarily know offhand. But I was gripped by this. Believe me, if this thing were a stage show, and it will be, it absolutely will be, because there's no way this gets put up for Oscars like it has, and it then doesn't find its way to the West End, because it sure as hell will. When I mean, this will this will go down gangbusters on the stage. I can imagine this becoming a really acclaimed work for the boards in years to come. As a movie in its own right, it does sit as the talky one for this year. I don't think it's particularly going to, uh, to take home any gold this year, despite the fact that I really did love that cinematography. I really, I thought Luc Montpellier's cinematography is just tremendous. I was absolutely breathtaking by it. Are there any twists in this like The Village or is it pretty much, is it quite predictable or, I mean, because I, I, I don't like movies where it's really easy to predict what's going to happen next. 
Well, I mean, first of all, it would be a massive spoiler, and I'm not going to do that if I tell you that. <laughs> I mean, I might occasionally hint. If, if, if something's got like six twists in it, I'll be like, oh, there's a twist. You know, because fair enough, you're just never going to see numbers two through six coming in that case. But, you know, you don't want to say there's a twist. But as it happens, I'll go with you. This is this is a, a talky drama, as I say. This is It's an Oscar movie, man. Come on, there's going to be shocks in an Oscar movie. You know, that, that just doesn't happen. This, this side of the sounds of the lambs and maybe uh, the shape of water. But uh, no, it, it's a straightforward like I say, it's a theatre piece. So, you know, it is about performances and character interaction and, and, you, know, and you know, dialogue. But it's it's not so much about the twists and turns. It is about the, the theological and sociological argument going you know, going on. And the beautiful acting by the sounds well, of also, well. beautiful music as well by uh, Hilda... Uh, I can never remember how you say it. Guadnatia? Guadnatia, I think, who obviously was a composer behind Joker a couple of years ago. Uh, Icelandic right. composer. Just an amazing score for this as well. It, you're watching this thinking it's like watching a stage show, but you've got all this really great filmmaking going on around it. It's really odd sometimes when that happens. You know? No, I mean, that's, that's interested me enough to want to watch it, actually. Mm. So um, if you feeling the same, it is out. Women talking, and it's out to uh, today in cinemas. Um, all right, well, I know what you thought of the next movie we're going to talk about, because I saw your social <laughs> media. We are going to be looking at Magic Mike's Last Dance. Yes, Channing Tatum is back, and uh, we'll see what Van thought of that movie in just a minute. So stay right there. So we are back for one last time and we're going to stick with brand new movies. There's one big one that I already know what Van thought of this because of his social media. Or at least I think I know what Van thought of it. And actually, I've got to say, it was really nice to see uh, a male tweet or Facebook about a movie that you would expect is aimed more at females. Um, Magic Mike, Channing Tatum is back. Right. I mean, first of all, I mean, there's there is a, a, a there's a gender stereotyping going on there that does feed brilliantly into how a, a fellow male critic friend of mine uh, handled this movie, which is to say, about as shriveled and uh, homophobic as you could possibly imagine. Oh, uh, I, I'm 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 down for this series. This is the Magic Mike Cinematic Universe is my jam, man. I love this series. First of all, I'm a big fan of director Steven Soderbergh. Sorry, writer director Steven Soderbergh. Directing in this case, I think writing goes to uh, Reed Carolyn, who is a frequent collaborator and I think production uh, production company partner with star Channing Tatum. Upon whom this series is his life, upon whose life this this series is loosely based. So Channing Tatum started out in the Magic Mike style of dancing and that kind of choreography, and brought some of his experiences to the screen in Magic Mike, which marketing back in I think it was 2012, like that, 2013 maybe, then spun into this weirdly uh, broader, more animated and colourful sort of trashy exploitation film for women. And kind of coincided with about the point that uh, Fifty Shades of Grey was transferring from being a best-selling novel to being a film. It kind of fell in the middle of that. You know right. what I mean? So they were kind of capitalising on, on, on the, the female gaze and the libido of that specific moment to an extent. It's always noticeable by the sequences that they would use for the marketing for that reason, because they were always the more dominant moments of, uh, of those movies, if you catch my drift. Yeah. So... 
a couple of years later, we had Magic Mike XX. Oh, sorry, I should explain. When that movie came out as well, it then turned out to be a lot more of a thoughtful indie drama. In other words, a Steven Soderbergh movie than anybody had been led to believe by the marketing. So everyone, a lot of, a lot of people went home unhappy. Yay, we got to see his ass wiggle, but why were we being bored for the rest of the time? I personally thought it was good fun. Right. You then got XXL a couple of years later, which decided to go in the opposite direction, which is now we're going to dial down the indie drama as far as we can go before before you know losing any levity, and we're just going to go for the bright and the vivid and the colourful. We're going to do a road trip movie, and it was good fun. It was, but again, still too talky and not quite as flashy and exploitative enough for what the marketing would have you believe. Flash forward to 2023 and Magic Mike's Last Dance is here, and they had managed to keep the marketing for this relatively on the download. They'd managed to restrain themselves a little bit. So just to explain, this time around, it is post-pandemic Miami. And Mike's business that he set up at the end of the last movie, which I think was a hardware store. I think it was a hardware store. I, I think I've not seen XSL since it came out. Great screening that night, by the way. Um, anyway, his hardware store, his business has gone down the pan thanks to the pandemic. And he's back working as a bartender, like catering parties. And we first meet him at the start of this movie when he is working the bar at a rich divorcee's party. Said rich divorcee Ooh, being played by convenient. Yeah, you know, played by Salma Hayek, no less. A wow. rich divorcee played by Salma Hayek Pinot, I think her name is now. Yeah, who? Um, yeah, yeah. And she, uh, she, right? Try and try and believe this bit, Adam. This is this is going to take some suspension of disbelief. Uh, Salma Hayek is a sexually unfulfilled and deeply, you know, unhappy uh, but rich woman who um, is then told by one of her mates at the party. Actually, did you know your bartender used to be a stripper? Uh, I saw him at a party way back when. Just slip him, slip him a few bucks to see what he'll do. So Mike manages to charm this in through the form of what's effectively an on-the-spot proposition. As soon as she's got him alone, you know, all the guests have gone out, and uh, she says, you know, you know, do a dance for me. Here's some money. Which he goes with, and he gives her the literal moment of her life. After which, she decides, I want to share this with everybody in the world. It so happens that as part of my separation, I have a theatre in London. That's right, we're going to London this time, and we're going to create Magic Mike Live. Have a gander. Come with me to London. Let's go. So why are you in London? I'm gonna put on a show at this famous theater. People are numb, disconnected. We're gonna wake them up with a wave of passion they've never felt before. Hell yeah. Without further ado, I give you the visionary artist magic mind. So. Oh, I love the fact that they've brought it to London. Do you get to see uh, much of the, the sights and sounds around London in this, or is it mainly oh. just focused in the theatre? No, no, they're, they're doing the full Austin Powers. No, don't worry, they're doing the full Austin Powers jaunts around, you know, Carnaby Street. Great. Stick with this, because, you know, don't forget, you know, Mike is Mike, so there's a certain ruggedness and scruffiness to him. Then, of course, the minute he steps down in London has to be greeted with, well, let's take him to Liberties, shall we, on the way home, and walk him down Carnaby Street and have our, you know, our, our, our personal uh, personal tailors tend to him. Uh, very much that. So you do get to take in the side. I literally go over Tower Hill in, a, in a, an open-top bus, I think, at one point. It's about as cliche as you can get so yes you are absolutely getting the sights from this one mr ball well and truly i mean definitely what's the, what's the soundtrack like to this 
Well, it's like it's a Magic Mike movie, so it has to come with a certain beat, and they do not disappoint mm. on that beat. There are, of course, the requisite like two or three references to, to Genuine by Pony, which, of course, then being that this is Magic Mike Live, that you know is getting created during this, has to contain one of the most pivotal moments of Magic Mike's life, which is Genuine by Pony. Uh, Genuine's Pony. I Genuine by Pony. Pony by Genuine, um, and they have to recreate that you know that sort of magical number as a stage show. It's worth noticing as well. And I noticed this on the way out of the screening because we have to. Walk Walk past Magic Mike Live. We were literally in the building next door to Magic Mike Live at the View, watching Magic Mike. Uh, oh stage. wow! And then had to walk past. And it's interesting to note that the cast members from Magic Mike Live, a lot of them seem to be the actors who are actually playing themselves in Magic Mike's Last Dance. So, <clears throat> if you were a fan of the stage show, and I have many friends who are fans of the st- big fans of the stage show. Uh, Zara and I looked into like let's get tickets and go like come on let's do let's make a night of it and actually see if we can line it all up and we just couldn't get it done in time and um, if you were a fan of that stage show though, I'd imagine you'll want to see this I think it adds an extra layer onto that it's such a good ride when they get to because it's it's not trying to reinvent the wheel this isn't Top Gun Maverick where you know there is this at the end of the world at stake kind of a thing this is a small scale you know mid tier kind of Soderberghian you know, drama with a bit of comedy. Channing Tatum's on fine form. I really like uh, Salma Hayek in this role because she's literally playing Salma Hayek. I mean, albeit a, a you know an undersexed Salma Hayek, which I don't think is possible <laughs> to be as a Salma Hayek. She's she's Salma Hayek. No. She's she's the goddess of all libidos of all genders. She is Salma Hayek. All hail Salma Hayek. But uh, yeah, if you, I think the performance is a good fun. You do get a little bit of a cast reunion as well. Not not, not maybe not quite in the form that you think, but. There's, there's some overlap in there um, and there's, there's some of the hits being put out there I will say as well that first dance sequence which is between Mike and, and Salma Hayek Pino's character which is the one that you know, she hires him on the basis of that dance number yeah uh, I mean I mean, I was hot under the collar after that I'm not going to lie I, I, that was, I, I would have thought they couldn't top the Backstreet Boys dance number from XXL which yeah. is just, I mean, on so many levels, that is just a genius dance number. Uh, having Joe, Joe Manganiello do it just on its own just seems like a wonderstroke. Um, for this one, though, Channing Tatum and Salma Hayek at the very beginning of this movie, that's, there is a reason that that is the big moment in the marketing. It's hot. I'm not going to lie, it's hot. I was going to say, is that the d- dirty dancing moment that oh, yeah. everyone's going to be talking about, you know, at the end of Dirty Dancing, but actually, by the sounds of it, halfway through this movie? Yeah, put it this way, the second the, uh, the, second the, 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 the moment the sequence was over, there was this noticeable moment where you could just hear everyone cranking their drinks cans at the same moment. <laughs> Brilliant. I absolutely love that. Um, I love, I love, just love the review on this. I love to hear you talking about this so passionately. Um, and uh, I think everyone... I'm a fan of them. Sh- yeah, yeah, I think, I think everyone better. should think see Magic are. Mike. I think they get better yeah. every single time. The, long, the longer this series goes, the better it seems to get. It's like the Mission Impossible series in that way. The longer the Mission Impossible series goes on, the more awesome it seems to become. It's like an inverse Fast and Furious, although, you know, that's that's the worst I'll ever say of the Fast and Furious, let's be honest. Anyway, um, so that is, uh, that's Magic Mike's last dance. I kind of hope it isn't his last dance, and uh, you can see that in cinemas from today. I expect it will sell out over the weekend. Okay, well, um, that's all we've got time for this week. We will, of course, be back on Friday, February the 17th, when we are going to be looking at The Sun, spelled S-O-N. 
Yeah, the weird one about this, the son is literally a sequel. Well, not really an actual sequel, but it's like a follow-up to The Father. We're also getting another one called, I kid you not, The Daughter. So, oh, no. Yeah. This one stars uh, Hugh Jackman. and is about uh, teenage mental health. Uh, I saw this one uh, before Christmas. And uh, didn't didn't pop up very much uh, on the awards nominations lists this year, all I'm going to oh. say. Uh, we've also got the documentary Make Me Famous out next week, along with The Inspection, which looks like a tight military drama. You know how I love those. The pro-nuclear documentary, pro-Irish nuclear documentary, Atomic Hope, which, you know me, science nerd, and I've... I'd be interested to see what the pro argument is on, on nuclear science uh, if, if for documentary form. Um, specifically seeing as we're tapping into another energy source next week, PIM particles, as we return to uh, the quantum realm with Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yes! Quantumania next week as well, which I'm really looking forward to seeing. Bill Murray is going to be in a Marvel movie, finally. Can you believe it? Amazing. Uh, that is one I am really looking forward to seeing, Ant-Man and the Wasp. I really want to see that because I've seen uh, seen the others. So, yeah, brilliant. Uh, all right. Well, uh, we'll talk about those next week. All of those still to come. And um, until then, I've been Adam Ball. I've been Van Connor, And we shall return.